Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast. And I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. Why do I call myself Judo Dave? Well, there might be another Dave Roman out there, but I know for a fact there is not a Judo Dave Roman out there. So that's why I'm going by Judo Dave Roman. I'm very happy to be here with all of you again. And if you guys are coming back to the podcast, I'd like to welcome you back. Welcome back. And if you're new to the podcast, I'd like to say welcome and thank you for checking me out. (whistles) Well, you're not really checking me out. You're checking the podcast out because if you're checking me out, I'd feel probably a little bit uncomfortable because I like my wife to check me out. That's about it. Today is Sunday, January 8th, 2017. If I haven't wished you a happy new year already, I'd like to say happy new year. I am T minus three days away from my skiing vacation out in Breckenridge, Colorado, and I'm very excited about that. And it's 10 days away from my birthday, so I expect a lot of well wishes and happy birthdays in about 10 days. Thank you very much. If you're new to the podcast, I'll have you know that I try and keep things specifically to judo and and topics related to judo, but I can't help but say that I can't wait for my skiing trip. I have been an avid skier for most of my life, probably since I was around 11 years old, and I've been to places in the northeast of the United States, the west coast, the Rockies, but for me... Nothing tops Breckenridge. And I'm sure there are some skiers out there that would look at that statement and just laugh at me and be like, man, Breck's not a real place. It's just flat out there. Even even the even the bowls are flat, man. Well, I don't care. I had a heck of a time when I went two years ago. I wish I could have gone last year, but being so close to my my wedding, it was just not possible for me to save the kind of money that I needed to save to go on another ski trip, but I can't wait to get back out there on Wednesday. Thursday is the Uller Fest. It's the Uller Parade in Breckenridge. And it is, in my opinion, the greatest parade in the world. When I was there two years ago, I had so much fun. Um, just it, it was just a really crazy parade. You'd have to see my Instagram, which is D underscore Rome 40. If you want to see pictures of the Uller Fest, if you want to see pictures of my family, my smiling face, anything, you can check me out on that Instagram. I'm going to be updating it with my vacation. And I'm sure to be probably uh, checking out Reddit for all you freaks out there on Reddit. You know who you are. So I'll probably be posting very little. Actually, I'll, I won't be posting very much out on Reddit or, or uh, uh, tweeting over the next uh, week or so. And to be honest, it may be very difficult for me to provide a podcast come next Tuesday. Now, I'm hoping that I can have something for you by next Tuesday. But as I've mentioned before, January is going to be a very, very busy month. And for me, that that hectic time of month is going to be starting on this Wednesday. That's coming up Wednesday. So I'm going to do my best. If there's something of note that I really got to get to, I will be sure to have a podcast out um, for the following Tuesday, not this coming up Tuesday. Uh, but if not, I will be sure to, I, I, I want to do my best to have something for you guys. I, I really want to be committed to providing judo specific content on a week by week basis, barring family emergencies or anything like that. I, I really want to Uh, set that goal for myself. It's going to be tough because I don't get back till early Sunday morning and I'm taking the red eye from Denver to to Tampa. And so by the time I get home, I'm going to be fast asleep and probably won't wake up until the afternoon. Uh, Maybe I can bust out a podcast there, but I want to make sure that if I do anything, it's going to be quality and not just sticking to some goal that I've set myself to. I I, I don't want to just put crap out there. I'm really enjoying doing this podcast and the content and the effort that I put into this matters to me very much. So I want to make sure that when I provide a, a new podcast for you guys, it's it's not crap that I'm reporting on something. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not just 
putting filler out there for the sake of uh, sticking to some arbitrary goal. My goal is to do it once a week, but it's got to be quality. And I'm going to make sure that I try and deliver that quality every single time I step up behind this microphone. On this podcast, I want to cover the International International Judo Judo Federation Federation. coaching and referee seminar that they had in Baku, Azerbaijan. Uh, Before I get to that seminar, I want to say something and apologize to anybody that I may have offended with a little comment I I made when talking about Azerbaijan in my last podcast. I made a comment saying something to the effect of, well, I guess that's a real country. But I did not mean to offend anybody, anybody by that. I am sure the people of Azerbaijan are very proud of their country. I remember when the Soviet Union fell, I was about 14 years old. So you had a lot of countries and look, I'm not going to get political. I don't know everything about the fall of the Soviet Union, but I remember many countries sprung from that fall of the Soviet Union and Azerbaijan was one of those countries and I am certain the people who live in that country are very proud of their country they're very proud of their independence so I want to make it clear that I meant no offense by that when I made that quip I wasn't sure if Azerbaijan was a country or a state within a country um you know, for example, Florida and United States. I I wasn't sure the context of where Baku, Azerbaijan is. But now I do. And I promise you from here on out, I'm not going to make those type of geographical mistakes. The judo community is very broad and is represented by many, many different countries. And... Over the next year, as I deep dive into topics related to the International Judo Federation and the competitions and the seminars involved, I will be sure to be well-educated on the geography of our great sport. Now, all that being said, over the past weekend, there was a referee and coaching seminar and, and a lot of great information came from that, that I would like to cover in a high level. I watched day one in its entirety. Admittedly, I have not watched day two of the seminar. It's it's about a uh, uh, over a three hour segment that that the IJF posted on their YouTube channel. Uh, But I did watch all of day one. It it took me probably about six hours to get through it. And I'm going to try and break that down um, all of the key points that I took out of it over the next half hour or so. I, I'll try and keep this podcast to under an hour. It shouldn't be hard for me to do, but um, I th- there's a lot of information here, and I want to make sure that I get some of the key points and some of the points that I thought were, were, were was very interesting to me. Now, the seminar kicked off with the with uh, you know greetings and salutations from the pres- from the president of the Azerbaijan Judo Federation Mr. Bravnag Abudayev he kicked off the seminar he had a translator up there and and it was just your typical greetings and salutations that one would expect to kick off uh, a seminar of this size they were uh from my understanding about 350 participants in this seminar from from a, uh, from an obvious variety of uh, of different countries and and what i thought was really interesting this is this is the first time i have ever seen a seminar of sorts regarding any topic where there are so many english speaking people from different countries all in one place now my my family is is Hispanic, so I'm used to listening to English uh, uh, spoken with a Spanish accent. But it was just really interesting uh, for me to see people from Romania and and you know Africa and Spain and Germany and just so many different countries with all their unique um, English accents. 
it just it was just one of those things that that I observed right off the bat. I, I thought it was really interesting. Um, Mr. Marius uh, Visor had uh, also spoke after Mr. Abudayev. And what I thought was, I was very impressed with the fact that not only was he speaking in English, but then everything he said, he spoke in French as well. And I'm sure given where he's from, he's probably, he probably knows several other different languages. Now, at the head table of this seminar, there's, there's a few notable uh, people within the IJF that I recognize. One was uh, Mr. Yasuhiro Yamashita, uh, Juan Carlos Barcos, uh, Vladimir Barta, and uh, Daniel Lascaux had later joined when they went into the specifics of the seminar. But Mr. Abudayev and, and Mr. Visor had kicked off the seminar, and I'm going to continue um, with some of the high points that uh, Mr. Um, Juan Carlos Barcos was the one who was doing most of the speaking throughout the seminar. Um, and I could see in the background, it, it, it appeared to be Akinori Hongo serving as Yamashita's uh, translator. Now, I know uh, Mr. Yamashita can speak English, but perhaps he feels uncomfortable um, uh, with with his English. I know he speaks it fluently. I, I've seen some seminars of him speaking in English, but perhaps having that... that um, that comfortable that he he wanted to be comfortable and and he, so he had a translator up there with him and and, and speaking of yamashita i got to say he has one of the friendliest and most warm and inviting faces and demeanor that i have really ever seen in my life he's always struck me as a as a very nice fellow and and based on what i've heard from other people who have had interaction with him, they, they all say very glowing things about him. It's, it's, he's one of those people that on my bucket list, I would love to meet him one day. Um, and I, I really hope that sometime over the next course of my life, hopefully that's at least uh, 50 years, I'll, I'll have a chance to meet him. Um, he just seems like a very, very, very nice person, somebody who would be very friendly and I, it would just be, it would just be a, a, a joy and an honor to meet him. Would you please still be my friend? Now, a couple of things on the intro that I'd like to, uh, that I wanted to just observe. Apparently, the 2018 World Championships will be held in, in, in Baku. So that was, that was a, maybe, maybe some of you already knew that. I did not know that. I thought that was, that was interesting. They probably, the IJF probably has a list of, events that they're going to have over the next several years. I even heard throughout the seminar that they plan on having a competition in North Korea. Hello, North Korea! Which I find interesting for a variety of reasons that I, I won't get into because I would start delving into politics and, and the politics of North Korea's um, government. But I don't want to get into that because that's not what this forum's about. That's not what this podcast's about. Mr. Visor was very clear that that a final decision on these rules that they're presenting to the committee will be made after the world championship. So there there is 16 months until the Olympic uh, qualification period begins. So this is a, a trial period of sorts. And I know I covered this before, but this is going to be a trial period of sorts. Uh, but it would appear that they're going to let... These rules stand how they are until the um, until after the World Championships, and they re they they will reevaluate and reassess uh, how the rules went, and they will probably make changes. It probably won't be very different than when they made changes in, I believe, two thousand thirteen to two thousand fourteen. There were some minor changes with the leg grab rule initially, when the rule rule changes on leg grabs happened in 2010 the the initial rule was that you could not attack the legs um with your hands on an initial attack which i i i kind of like that initially but but uh, they decided to get rid of the legs but that again we've discussed that before and i may touch on that a little bit later on in the podcast but but these rules are going to be evaluated until until after the world championships 
they went on to put on um, two slides comparing the Olympic Games in 2012 versus the Olympic Games in 2016. So it kind of goes back to my point that they made the rule changes in 2010 and those changes were in effect for the uh, Olympic Games in London and then they retweaked the rules uh, for it, for in preparation for the 2016 games, and some of the numbers that they put up there are are very interesting. I just want to point this out. Um, for the Olympic Games in 2012, 44.37 percent of the matches ended in Ipon. Now in Rio, that jumped all the way up to 52.55 percent. Um, there were slightly more Wazari scores in Rio than they were in London. We're talking 15.51% versus 14.79%. The Yukos were virtually the same. We're talking 15% Yuko. Now, here's the interesting part to me is in the the London games, 15% of the matches were decided by uh, uh, Shido. So, um, if I understand the slide correctly, we're talking winner by Shido. And in Rio, that number was reduced to uh, 12.73%. Those numbers are very high to me. Now, those aren't matches that ended with four Shido being Hansukumaki. Those are matches decided by one player has one more Shido than the other. Um, so, so winner by Shido, which I hated that. And, and that, uh, just so you all know, if you haven't really figured this out already, that is one of the main driving forces between, uh, with these rule changes that they're talking about at this seminar, they want to reduce the number of matches won by Shido significantly. And they've done that by only having, um, by, by declaring that you cannot win a contest or, or lose a contest by Shido alone. And, and that's a necessary change. That's uh, a very, very necessary change. Now, here's an interesting statistic. At least to me, it's interesting. In, 20, in 2012 and in 2016, less than 1% of the matches ended in Hansokumaki because of a leg grab. Now, this is kind of where I feel they didn't need to change the leg grab rule to have the first offense being a Shido because, you know, let's say I know Daniel Lacau later on in the technical technical part of the seminar, he stated they have um, data from over 5,000 matches. Now, if, if that's true, which I have no reason to believe that isn't true, that would mean that about somewhere around 50 matches during the period of time where they've been collecting that data ended in Hansokumaki because of a Shido. Now, granted, one has to ask, okay, which 50 matches were those? I know for, um, in the ladies' side, Silver from Brazil, she lost a match in 2012 in the Olympics over a Hansukumaki in, in one of the, the quarterfinal rounds. I, I believe it was the quarterfinal rounds, if, I, if memory serves me correctly. So, you know, it's only about 50 matches that, that ended in Hansokumaki uh, from whatever data points that they have, but it depends what 50 matches. One would not want to see, you know, that end. One would not want to see a, a gold medal match end in Hansokumaki because of an accidental leg grab. But still, in the grand scope of things, I don't think they needed to make this change for Shido. And I'll get into that later on in the podcast, but I just wanted to point out here that according to the IJF slides uh, for the Olympics, less than 1% of the matches uh, ended in Hansukumaki because of the leg grab, which supports Neil Adams' point that I talked about in my last podcast. It supports his point that when they made these rule changes, the athletes instantly adapted. And really, the, the the people who are who continue to complain about these rules seven years later are, are people that aren't even competing at that high level. Why you have to be mad? Um, not even not even close. And that's not 
that's not a jab toward anybody, but that's just that's just what I've seen on other forums like Reddit and and in other uh, judo specific forums that really the, the people, uh, I mean, a lot of people who complain about these leg grabs, they weren't even doing judo in 2010. Um, so, you know, again, I, I get why they made those changes. I talked about that in my last podcast. Um, Neil Adams was very clear about why they did it. And, you know, something I want to point out too is sometimes people think that, uh, that only a single person dictates these changes. There's a lot of people in the judo community that work for, you know, or, or I, what I should say, there's a lot of judo legends or on the com- the executive committee for the IJF that come up with these rules. So it's not like these, the, these are out of touch executives that don't understand judo and they just care about the bottom line, which is the money. These people care very much about judo and they want to see the sport grow globally. And the only way the sport can grow is to get more eyeballs on it. And the only way to get more eyeballs on it is to make it look exciting and dynamic, which I know the people at the IJF feel, and I certainly agree with them, that the 2016 games were for judo was fantastic. And I think a lot of these rules that they are putting together um, for this next um, 12 to 16 month period, I think they're going to enhance the matches in a way that's going to make it more exciting. I still have some issues with with uh, some of the changes, but I do see after watching this seminar why they may be going this direction. Uh, one of the coaches from Germany had asked about the team matches or, or the team events, and it, it would appear now. I'm to to be honest with you, I've never watched a team match in judo. That that I I don't know if that is something that is common in in the European ju- judo uh, associations or unions, um, but that's not something I've been exposed to here in the United States in Florida. I I've never seen a team match before, but. It's my understanding that that um, the scoring used to be very different, like a uh, hundred points for a Nippon and seven for Wazari, or seventy for Wazari. I'm not sure how it was, but how it's going to be moving forward is ten points for a Nippon and one point for a Wazari. That's when they do team events. That's how it's going to be scored moving forward. Again. I've never seen a team event. I'll have to go on YouTube uh, later on to familiar, familiarize myself with what those team events are. But that is how the scoring is going to be. Um, I believe that same German coach also asked about bear hugs. I know the IJF relaxed a lot of the gripping rules, but the bear hug is still an invalid uh, gripping technique um, for judo over this next period. So... I know I've been saying over the past few weeks that you can practically do anything out there. Well, not quite. You can't do the bear hug. Um, I would imagine that would mean the, um, like a bear hug, Kosoro Gaki is still out. You can't, you can't do that. Now, um, one of the things that I've, there's a couple of things that I had maybe missed when I was reading the original proposed changes for the rule sets. Uh, I must have missed this somewhere, but when it comes to Nawaza, there is no Wazari Awaseti Ipon. I thought, now I knew that the Wazari did not accumulate, but for whatever reason, I assumed that that was just for standing techniques, throwing techniques only. But that on, on Nawaza, that Wazari Awaseti Ipon would still be valid. That is definitely not the case. And I, I find that very interesting. So, for example, you're in a Nawaza situation, you, you've got Kesa Katami on somebody, you hold them down for 10 seconds, you get the Wazari point. But they manage to escape. Um, and for some reason, let's say you get thrown. Um, for, for a Wazari and you manage to counter within the, uh, Nawaza situation and you're back to, you know, uh, Yoko Shio Gatami and you're holding them down for 10 seconds. 
I thought for whatever reason, I thought that accumulated to be a pawn, but it does not. So you could be in, in an entire match, hold a person down several times for 10 seconds and let them go or, or, or really they escape or whatever. All that is going to do, you're just accumulating Wazari. Well, I, I've already expressed how I feel about eliminating um, Wazari Awaseti Pawn. I don't like that at all. Um, I definitely don't like the way that they're going about uh, the Nawaza in this situation as well. But they have to keep things consistent if this is the rule set that they're going to go with. So I can understand uh, why uh, Wazari Awaseti Pawn is done away with. I, I don't like it, but I'm just going to have to accept it. Now, the they showed on one of the slides what the IJF scoreboards are going to look like going forward. And this caused quite a stir among the participants in the crowd. Uh, it was really interesting when they were explaining what the golden score was going to be like in terms of Shido and and um, the match ending. And and again, this is one of those situations that I did not glean this from the documentation that was released by the IJF a few weeks ago in regards to Golden Score. So this is really interesting. Um, when it comes to Golden Score, let's say one player has a Shido and the other player does not, but they both have a Wazari and Score. Uh, they both have equal Wazari scores, so they're going to go into golden score when, when regulation is up. Now, I thought, again, for whatever reason, I interpreted that the person who gets a Shido in golden score is going to lose the match, but that's not going to be the case. So let's say the person has the, the person with no Shido gets a Shido in golden score the match will still continue. So they really, those people who, Shido become a lot more important, especially in the golden score situation because the person with the less Shido will have a, a, a distinct advantage. Now, if I understand this correctly, if the person who has a Shido entering golden score gets another Shido, um, that will end the match. Um, I need to double check that. It, it, now that I'm saying that out loud, it doesn't. That doesn't sound quite right to me. But um, maybe that's the case. But what I do know is the person with less Shido entering Golden Score can earn can not earn, but 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 can be given a Shido and not end Golden Score as so long as the Shido are tied. And this this caused quite a commotion within the entire room and and it it was one of those situations where where uh you know Mr. Barcos had to get had to get order uh, as a matter of fact he gave this nod to some guy and all of a sudden Arnold Schwarzenegger showed uh, showed up and told everybody to shut up shut up shut up it was really surprising to see Arnold there no he was not there that did not happen but they needed to get order because a lot of people were talking amongst themselves and and they they lost track for about uh, it was very difficult for them to get order. It took them about five minutes before everybody tended to settle down. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Um, they went on to explain the two elbows on the ground rule that they that were discussed in the in the materials that the IJF provided a few weeks back. Um, when they showed a video of it, it made a lot of sense. So I guess there are a lot of situations and I don't, it doesn't happen very often, but there's situations where when somebody is thrown, if they landed on their elbows, but managed to roll out of that, they would not be um, scored upon. That won't, wouldn't count as a score, but now that counts as a score. And you, you really would have to see an example video that they gave where it made a lot of sense. Um, one guy was throwing somebody else with Uchimata and the way that he spun, he landed on his elbows and his back never touched the mat. So landing on the two elbows, um, they're going to award that throw with a Wazari. 
And they're going to do that in an, in an attempt to keep the young players coming up, the cadets or, or whoever, from, uh, from doing that kind of stuff to prevent a score. So they want to avoid injuries and they want to avoid um, juniors and cadets from doing what the uh, elite world players are doing on the world circuit. They, they don't want, they don't want that example to trickle down all the way up to the developmental, um, places, which would be places like my club, for example, or maybe places that are uh, more prestigious than that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, something they clarified on that I'm very happy to see no more rolling Epon. I, you know, that is one of those things that I, I hated this idea of continuation. I'd say maybe six years ago, actually now seven years ago now, um, I went to a refereeing seminar um, and they wanted, at the time, they wanted us to award Epon for rolling Epons because, yeah, it might have started as a Wazari or a Yuko, but it turned into any pawn because of the continuation, the, the idea of continuation that is no longer valid anymore. So rolling a pawn are no longer valid. That's going to be scored a Wazari. I love it. I, I think that is a much overdue change that needed to happen. Um, and I believe their idea, like with everything else is to get more dynamic more forceful Epon from their competitors. Now, speaking of Epon, they went into a bunch of video sequences that explained the difference of what is an Epon versus what is a Wazari. And I'm proud of myself. I got them all right. Every every single technique that they showed on the screen, I'd be like, okay, that's an Epon, that's a Wazari. And you know, Mr. Barcos would say, in our opinion, this would be an Epon, or in our opinion, this would be a Wazari. So they were making it clear what an Epon versus what a Wazari is. So, hey, I'm proud of myself. I got them all right. Uh, at that point, they decided to take a uh, a 15-minute break. Um, it's kind of funny, a, a little exchange between uh, Daniel Lescau and, and Juan Carlos Barcos. Lescau wanted 30 minutes, but... Uh, um, you, you, Juan Carlos on a hot mic was pretty much saying, look, if you give these people 30 minutes, they end up taking 45. So <laughs> I thought it was just kind of a funny moment. He probably didn't mean to say that on a, on a hot mic, but, uh, that's what happened. It got caught. I'm sure everybody in the room heard that. Um, they ended up taking a 35 minute break. So, you know, the 15 minutes turned into 30 minutes. So what, what, so Mr. Barcos was right about that. Um, now, coming back after the break, um, Mr. Barcos had explained to everybody in the crowd, he wanted to remind them that that these rule changes were not made to appease a certain federation or, or certain people, that they were made as a, as a committee and as a group, um, taking the input from everybody, from all coaches and referees from around the world, really probably everybody represented in that room, that all of their inputs and opinions were taken into consideration and this was this was what that uh committee came up with in terms of a rule set you know and and, and let me be frank for a moment because i know there are every time there are rule changes that happen a lot of people out there say oh they're just they're just changing the rules because that's what the japanese want so so they want to they want to kowtow to the japanese and to the kodakan well according to the statements that's not the case whether that's the case behind closed doors i don't know but i'm not willing to make that kind of accusation uh towards the ijf uh with with this uh with these rule changes i i think that would be unfair and and uh, probably not accurate based on some of what some of the things that Neil Adams says and, and some of the things that other people are saying throughout this seminar. That doesn't really appear to be the case. Now, after the break, they went on to show the differences between what is a Wazari versus what is a no score. Now, I might have gotten the Pont Wazari all correct, but the Wazari to no score, I got about half right. So, 
I would be a failure as an IJF referee. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so they, they went into that session of what no score versus what they want it to be called the Wazari. I got them half right. It was not it was not easy to figure out. Um and even though they they were very clear in what they want as a Wazari versus what is no score. I tell you, these refs has a has a very difficult job. They 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 go out there trying to they're trying to officiate a match without being the story of the match. All at the same time, while you have two coaches screaming at them, telling them, you know, what to do, you know, call the Shido, this and that. He's doing this, he's doing that. It's gotta be it's a it's a very uh it's got to be a very tough job. I don't, I don't envy them at all, but I respect them tremendously for getting a lot of the call, most of the calls right. Um, it's a, it's a thankless job, but somebody's got to do it, and I think these refs, uh, by and large, do a fantastic job. Now, after they talked about what is a wazari versus what is a no score, they went on to spend some time on wakigatami type motions. Now. If you don't know, wakigatami is an arm technique that can be very dangerous when applying this in in uh, tachiwaza. And they gave examples of what is a wakigatami technique that they need to call hansokumaki versus one that they need to let keep going. Uh, th- there's two things that I thought were really interesting. One, they will not call Hansokumaki on a wakigatami type action if the person who that technique is being applied to is entering into a nawaza situation. So if if one competitor is like going toward the ground off after falling or whatever, and that technique is applied or or done, or the arm is caught in a way that 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 looks like waki uh, wakigatami, they are not going to call Hansokumaki on that. They will not call Hansokumaki on wakigatami situations if you have a standard grip. If you've got a standard grip and you do something like Sode Surikomi Goshi, um, they're not going to call Hansokumaki if somebody's arm breaks because of a bad Sode Surikomi Goshi attempt. Now, in regards to Sode Surikomi Goshi, I was stunned to find this out. Uh, one of, it, it, I believe this was one of the referees uh, came up to the microphone and had mentioned that in previous seminars in Japan and uh, Malaga, which is in Spain, um, they discussed banning Sode Surikomi Goshi because of the risk of injury to the arms. Um, they, I'm not saying Sode is banned, but this is one of those situations similar to Kani Basami. You you get one high-profile judo star get his arm broken in the Olympics or in a high-level event where where the world is watching on some kind of Sode Sudokomi Goshi attempt, even if it's a perfectly valid one, you may see Sode go away in the future. And I think that would be a shame. I hope that doesn't happen, but I can see why the referees would want, would even de- debate this because many of these wakigatami type actions that they call hansokumaki on, you can tell the attempt um, was to go for a sode surikomigoshi and the arms get caught or, or just something weird happens. And they, they show different examples of so they attempts that they would call or they might call Hansokumaki on versus ones that they would not call Hansokumaki on. And I'm telling you, you know, you you get a you get a a, a rising star or or like Fabio Basile or an existing star like uh Shoei Ono, you you know, you get his arm broken in in the on the Olympics. Uh nobody wants to see that. Uh, you know, especially when the world is watching, nobody wants to see somebody's arm broken because of because of a technique. Just like, uh, you know, decades ago when when Yamashita got his leg broken by by Endo on on the Kani Basami. I mean, whether whether that happened 
you know, whether Connie Basami was a technique that broke into other people's legs, nobody ever talks about that. Everybody remembers what happened to Yamashita, and that's when the rules changed. So don't be shocked if somebody's, uh, if a high-profile star uh, gets his arm broken because of a, of a bad Sodi attempt, they might ban that technique. Uh, I think that would be a shame. Uh, I think it's a great technique. I'm not very good at that technique at all, um, but I still think it's a very good technique. And I, I would hate to see that go away. I mean, you know, the way people outrage over, over the leg grabs, oh, um, I think they would have more of a, a, a reason to complain on a, on a perfectly fine technique. I'm not saying Marote Gari is not a fine technique. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, when you start banning techniques uh, where you're gripping above the waist, then you you start going down a, a, a real rabbit hole of other problems. Um, so hopefully that never we we never happen that never happens. But I thought it was interesting to note that they've discussed this in the past. To close out the day, they talked about head diving and using the head as a means to avoid um, getting thrown on your back. That's going to be an instant Hansokumaki. If it wasn't that way already, it should have been that way the entire time. Nobody's nobody's head should be used to avoid a throw. Now, in the instance where you tuck your chin as you're getting thrown and you land on your head, um, they're not going to call Hansokumaki on that. But if they see that your, your chin is not tucked um, on a technique that you're being thrown on and you land on your head, um, they're going to call that Hansokumaki and your day will be done. And I, and I completely agree with that. Now, I want to talk about a little bit about the technical part of day one, which, you know, was really interesting is that the meeting hall that they had met with on the morning part, they turned it into a dojo in the afternoon. They, they, it, all the tables and chairs were removed and it was all mats and a lot of people were in their judogi. Um, though, you know, I'm not sure why, I don't know if that's common in IJF seminars, but I didn't think there was a need for so many people to be in a judogi. Um, they weren't doing any rondori or anything like that. Um, I suppose if they needed to have a question answered, they could only demonstrate by wearing a judogi. I suppose that makes sense. But a lot of people in judogi, lots of high-ranking people. Um, it, it's really, really something to see so many legends of the sport and high-ranking people all congregated together in one mat. Just... Uh, we're talking about thousands of years of judo experience standing on one mat. It's really a sight to behold. Um, I I noticed that as the technical part started um, happening, that a lot of people were recording this on their phones and made me wonder if the IJF had let everybody know that they were posting this on their YouTube page. Um, perhaps... Many people in other countries, their their internet access is unreliable, so they need to have to use their mobile phones to record the video portion of it. But there were a lot of people doing video recording on their phones. Uh, I I probably would have recorded maybe thirty seconds, of, but probably I would have taken a lot of pictures. But but you know, speaking of this, I I gotta I gotta give props to the IJF. They really they really did a good job streaming this live they had some hiccups with mic issues but i think that's more of a limitation with trying to live stream on youtube than effort involved but from a from a production level i think they did a fantastic job um putting this all together for the for the rest of the judo world so i i tip my cap to them i salute them i i give them applause whatever and and just express my my appreciation for um, putting this entire seminar together because obviously not everybody can travel to to Baku, but everybody can watch this on YouTube and all the coaches out there can gather what they need to gather and then and then tell their students, hey, this is what you can do. This is what you can't do. We need to work on this. We need to work on that. So kudos to the IJF for, for putting on a, a very good production, in my opinion. Some of the notes that I wanted to cover in the more technical portion there is and I won't I'll try and keep this very brief I know I've gone on quite a bit um they want to make it clear that if you get a standard grip 
they're going to give you more time to set up your attacks. Uh, as long as you're seeing, if you're doing negative judo with a standard grip, they'll stop you. But they're going to give you a lot of time to move around if you're taking a standard grip. They made it clear that if you're taking an unorthodox grip, that you're going to get less time and you have to be doing something very quickly. Now, that led itself to a lot of debate. A lot of people um, were vocal about their concerns about judo becoming like sambo with a lot of the relaxed gripping rules, but it's not going to be that way because you have to, if you take an unorthodox grip, you have to attack very quickly. Daniel Lascaux had made the comments on several occasions throughout this technical portion that they want to make it clear to the coaches, we want to give you fire to prepare food, not to burn the mother to the ground. All right, he, he didn't actually say that, but he actually said he... They want to give you fire for food and not fire to burn, you know, everything to the ground. Um, So basically what he's saying is that they want to give you relaxed rules so that you can use it to improve your your students judo and not and not to, you know, I I don't know, I guess ruin your students judo or, or find a way to play negatively with these rules. And, and that was a recurring theme in the afternoon portion. You know, Neil Neil Adams, um, who was who was leading the technical portion, Daniel Lascal, Juan Carlos, and even y- Yamashita, who spoke toward the end. You know, they kept they kept pointing out, and I believe fairly so, that the coaches at the seminar kept focusing on the negative aspects of these changes, what they can't do, what and this and that, and. Rather than focusing on the positives and what these rule changes will allow their uh, players and competitors to do. And I thought it was really interesting because to me, it goes to show you the mindset of some of these uh, or a lot of these coaches in high level judo. They, I know Neil Adams pointed out in the seminar that. You, you you know we're trying we want you guys to focus on the positive because every for every rule that we make we he said that we have a lot of brilliant judo minds in this rule that for uh, in this room that for every rule that we make within 5 minutes you go you guys are going to find out uh different ways to circumvent those rules and and to you know take advantage of those rules and he's right because high level judo to win uh there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, there's a lot at stake. So these coaches are trying to find every advantage within the rule to take uh, to take advantage of the rules and to coach their players in a certain way, ra- rather than taking advantage of the rules to play positive judo. They they're it's it just the nature of the questions were like we're, we're they're, they're trying to almost figure out what they can get away with and. I don't think, and I I agree with Neil at a, at a at a um you know the the purpose of these rules are to encourage positive judo, a lot of attacking, less shido, and I I really do feel I I see their point that a lot of the focus from the coaches in the room were were the negative aspects, and I you know again there's a lot at stake for these coaches. You know, they, there's a lot of funding involved. There's a lot of players. Uh, there's a lot of sponsorships, and you you get all that stuff with the with the idea that you're going to win, and winning is the most important thing for these people, as it is in any other sport. Because with these rule changes, they're they do impact the grassroots level, but they're not making these changes for the grassroots level, which again. Kind of goes back to the whole leg grab outrage. Is, is that when they make these changes, they're they're not making it for for ham and eggers like myself. And I freely admit uh, that's that's what I am. That's just I'm just a club level showdown. Um, they're not making these changes for guys like me. They're making these changes for the best of the best, the most elite athletes in the world. Um, and, and I, I can understand why, because not only are the athletes elite, the coaches are elite. Now, in, in regards to the leg grabs, um, they, they, they made it very clear. And I don't know if it was this way before, but 
No grips of any kind below the belt are allowed unless the jacket is outside of the belt. Then you can grip at the bottom of the jacket. So I thought with the leg grab rules that it was limited to the legs only. But apparently, and I don't know if this is new or if it's always been this way, you cannot grip the jacket below the belt. So, you know, the the, the bottom part of the jacket, if it's tucked in the belt, you cannot grip there. You will be... You will be given a a shido in the same way that that it, as if you grab the legs. And they also pointed out that with these new scoreboards, they are going to have a special designation for shido on a leg grab. Um, it's now the she. It's not going to be separate, but they need to keep track of shido for leg grab because if you do it again, two of those and in Yitzhansokumaki right then and there. Neil also discussed that they made the change to from Hansokumaki to a first offense being a Shido because everybody, coaches and referees, uh, felt that an accidental leg grab was was too much. Um, it, it was it, it, an accidental leg grab and calling Hansokumaki on that was was too much of a penalty. But um, Neil also made it clear that if there is a, a sharp increase in leg grab Shido that um they'll they'll make a decision after the world championships on how to approach that moving forward. Now somebody around the uh the hour and 34 minute and 20 second mark uh made a comment uh or or posed a question that has been my argument against turning the leg grab to shido uh argument. He you know, he, he said he he pointed out that that he felt that it was unfair for the athlete to use a, re- a leg grab to force the match in the golden score. And I used this example last week where, you know, if for some weird reason I was fighting Nui and I happened to be up by, uh, by, by a Wazari, if he went into his famous pawn, I was able, you know, I, I can grab the leg as a, as a timeout of sorts and, and stall the match and, and force the match in the golden score. Uh, somebody had, had posed that question and he, he said, I, I feel this is unfair, but uh, Daniel Lascaux had made the point that, he, or he feels that it's not unfair because if the match does go into golden score, the person with the Shido is at the disadvantage. So, so the person who is, you know, attacking is that, is that, or the person who goes into golden score, um, has the advantage if they don't ha- if they have less shido. Now I know I just I literally just said that if I was up a wazari, I, what I meant to say is if if me and and Inui was tied at wazari, and I stopped his uchimata with a leg grab. I, I didn't mean to say that I was up, but but the point remains that in that type of a situation, even though it's unfair, and I do agree with that, I don't like the use of of a leg grab to stop a technique. Um, to stall and to bring the match in the golden score. That's going to be a tactic that's going to be used, and I and I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to look very poorly. Um, I, I think you'll see a lot of that. Uh, that's just my opinion. But I also happen to agree that I think it's unfair. But the IJF feels that it doesn't matter because going into golden score, one person is going to have an advantage and one person is going to have a disadvantage. And I suppose from that point of view, it makes sense because a person who has less Shido, if they get a Shido in golden score, it's the match continues. So there's still going to be more fighting. Now, somebody who sounds like uh, somebody with an American accent, perhaps uh, this lady was from uh, from Canada, but but she saw I didn't recognize her. She definitely spoke with an American accent or so it seemed. Um, she asked about failed Tomonagi attempts and, and those type of situations that lead to a leg grab. Their view is that in those situations, you do not penalize with grabbing the leg on it for with a Shido because that now becomes a Nawasa situation. That's what Daniel Lescau had pointed out, that in those situations, it becomes a Nawasa situation. So I'm guessing he means... You know, somebody does a tomonagi, they fail. At that point, you can grab the leg and, and take um, 
oh, it's like, call me if you can get past the legs, uh, because now that is a, a, a Nawaza situation. Now, it'll, it would be interesting to see, you know, if it's one of those bang-bang type plays where where somebody goes in for a failed Tomonagi, when does it become a Nawaza situation? After uh, Tori's back has landed or or while, you know, can, can Uke grab the leg as Tori is going down? I, I, I'm sure they will, most of the referees are going to call that right, but I can see a situation where that could be misinterpreted or the wrong call is made or somebody takes an advantage um, in, in those situations. So obviously there were a lot of questions. Uh, the technical part of, sem- of the seminar pretty much ended around 153.40, an hour and 53 minutes in, 40 seconds, where the living incarnation of judo itself, uh, Yasuhiro Yamashita, uh, 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 spoke. Uh, and for those, I mean, everybody in judo knows who he is. And I tell you, that crowd was, it, for all the commotion that was going on when everybody else was speaking, Yamashita is like the E.F. Hutton of judo. When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. And I, I'm, I'm sure I'm dating myself there. But when he speaks, everybody listens. And... He was talking about the cases where the athletes accidentally touches the leg and they no longer want that to be Hansokumaki. So it sounds like not only is you know Yamashita part of the 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 board that talks about um that comes up with these rules, is that he felt it was unfair for the athletes to be penalized if there's an accidental grab of the leg. He also stated that the intention of these rules is that they want judo to be more dynamic and more attractive to the viewers. You know, and I, I know there's a lot of people out there who are outraged by the leg grab ban. Why do you have to be mad? I mean, we're seven years later, despite that, I might add. Um, but we need to remember that people like Yamasha to support this. So when we see all this outrage toward the IJF, you're... You're outraging, uh, you know, against a man who is basically today's living incarnation of judo, in my opinion. I mean, when I when I see some of these comments on Facebook or, or Twitter or or Reddit, you know, who are you freaks out there, uh, or any other place blasting the IJF, I, I think some of you guys need to take a step back and remember, you know, who the people are that make these kind of decisions. Why do you have to be mad? I I mean. You know, some of the vitriol out there is pretty surprising to me, uh, to be honest. And, you know, I've gone on record and say that that I would prefer leg grabs be included. And I would prefer that uh, Wazari Awaseti Ipon be included. And I would prefer that the Yuko and the, you know, the Coco was eliminated. But the Yuko being eliminated is a good thing. I, I would prefer these things, but... You know, I, I, I'm of the position that we need to give the IJF a chance here because, look, they felt this way and most of the judo world felt this way. Rio was awesome. And, I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it was awesome. I, I, all the matches that I watched in Rio were exciting with the exception of the ones that ended um, with winner by Shido, which I... which. The IJF fixed that. You you got to hand it to them. They, I think they've done a lot more right than wrong. And when it comes to these rule changes, something you guys need to keep in mind is the athletes, you know, when it came to leg grabs, the athletes instantly adapted. I, I think maybe one or two people complained uh, publicly and that was it uh, because the athletes adapted. They you know, they they saw the new rules and they, they were like, okay, this is how we're going to have to win moving forward. And it's going to be the same with these rule changes as well. You know, the, the athletes that that won by by just garnering Yuko and 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 trying to ride that out, they're they're gonna have to change or or they're gonna be out of the game. It's as simple as that. It's so the athletes are going to adapt. They always have adapted. And I think we need to give the IJF a chance here because, again, Rio was awesome. 
And if we can improve on what we saw in Rio, uh, that would be a great thing. I'm very interested to see if the, you know, 53%, I believe that what, what it was of matches won by Ipon. I'm really interested to see if that's uh, going to change. Um, I, I hope that number gets up higher. As a matter of fact, yesterday, uh, Mr. Visor had a Twitter, a live Twitter Q&A, and he actually answered uh, one of my questions. Um, maybe not in the way that I hoped he would have, but he did answer it. I had asked, what is the percentage of contests won via Epon the IJF is targeting with the rule changes moving forward? I pointed out in Rio, it was uh, 52.55%. Um, his response to me was, we want to promote the Ipon judo more and more to make combat more dynamic, more understandable, and more spectacular. Now, I, I was hoping that perhaps the IJF had a, a target number that they had in mind. Uh, I would love, personally, I would love to see 60% of the matches won by Ipon. I because there is no Wazari Awaseti Ipon, I, I don't think we're going to get there. But I hope I'm wrong. Um, so it was it was a it was an interesting Q and A. I followed uh, most of the questions and responses um, by Mister Visor. Uh, of course, predictably, there was the the leg grab question. Uh, do you think we'll ever have leg grabs back? Uh, Katagaruma. Is founder Mr. Kano's favorite? Actually, I believe it was uh, Uke Goshi was his favorite technique. I, I could be wrong on that. Uh, but now our dojo does not teach it. He says, do we think we have leg grab back? Uh, his response was not at all. But the first action would be penalized by Shido and the second with Hanso Kumaki. So, yeah, so I, I thought there'd be more leg grab questions or, or maybe there were a lot of leg grab questions. He only decided to ask that one. Uh, with his hashtag AskVisor. So uh, speaking of Twitter, if you guys want to follow me, it's uh, at La Vida Judoka. Um, so that's what's been going on in the judo world for the past week. Lots going on. Um, this ran a lot longer than I had intended, but what I will do, and you guys don't know this yet since you've already made it here, or you'll figure this out before I post this, I'm going to put up show notes and and I'll break down the different timestamps where I may be talking about different things um, in the event that you want to skip some of this podcast. Though I have no idea why you would want to do that because I'm just a fantastic host here. Not really. But in case you want to skip to certain parts, I will have uh, more detailed show notes than I have had in the, the past few weeks. And um, we can follow along. I am, once again, very grateful for the uh, response to all of the people listening to this podcast. I, I'm really overwhelmed. And, you know, maybe for other podcasts, the number of downloads aren't very impressive. But for me, when I started this podcast, I, I think I said something along the lines of, hey, if I, if I got more than 10 downloads on this thing, I'll, I'm going to keep going. And last I checked, I have... 430 downloads. That that is a number that far exceeds any expectation I have and I I thank you uh very much from the bottom of my heart um for checking me out um or checking the podcast out. There I go again with um you guys checking me out. Um I'm very grateful for everybody listening in. It's the fuel that keeps me going. Well, not download numbers aren't the fuel that keeps me going. It's uh your response, your your um your interest in this podcast is the fuel that keeps me going and i've said it before i'll say it again i'm having a blast doing this i'm i'm well over an hour recording this and i'm probably going to whittle this down hopefully to about 50 minutes or so um but i am really enjoying talking about judo to anybody that's willing to listen and clearly by the statistics that i'm seeing so far it hasn't even been uh officially been a month yet. Now, Grant, I, my first podcast I put out in, in late November, but I didn't announce it to anybody until I posted my second podcast. And so it hasn't even been 30 days yet. And the, the response has been 
fantastic and I'm I'm very I'm very appreciative of of everybody who's given me a chance. I'm very glad to do this and and provide uh some judo content for um for you guys. So with that, I think I'll end things here. I hope to do a podcast next week. It's going to be tough like I said earlier in the early going because I'm going to be going on vacation. Um hopefully I won't uh, break a leg or kill myself on on some of the uh, on some of the more expert trails out there in Breckenridge. I'm sure I'll be fine. I was fine the last time. I'm not going to go down some of these rock shoots or whatever. I'm I'm way past my prime to do anything like that. But I'm going to enjoy hiking up to the top of Breckenridge, taking a look at the Rocky Mountains. And uh, if you're willing to take a look, you know you can come on my Instagram, which is d underscore Rome forty. You can take a look at my Facebook page, which is Judo Chop Suey. You search for me on Facebook. Uh, I'll put, I'll post up a Twitter uh, picture as well. Um, certainly not while I'm on the mountain because I may need my phone in case I get stranded somewhere or fall into an avalanche or whatever. That will likely not happen. But I'll, I won't be, I will not be streaming while I'm at the summit of Breckenridge. That's, you know, I need to save my battery for emergencies. But once I get back down the mountain. And enjoy myself uh, some local brew. I'll be sure to post some of these pictures of my experiences out in Breckenridge. And uh, I'm sure most of you won't care. But in the event that one or two of you care, you get to share those experiences with me. So with that, I hope you all have a great rest of the week. I know I will. Um, I hope you guys uh, stay safe. I hope all of your wildest dreams will come true. Have a great week. Talk to you soon. I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Op, 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 op. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Op, op, op.